welcome to episode 154 of the local meta my name is fletcher and i'm john john how you doing tonight man i'm doing all right it's saturday yeah that's, that's saturday, not right thing i'm actually i'm actually 100 sure it is saturday <laughs> it, it, it is you're, you're good <laughs> when, I, but, when i was leaving the girlfriends today she was like take this little mini chocolate bunt cake with you i'm like what why? I thought I would just leave it here. She's like, well, there's another one here. I'm like, oh, I just figured I'd just, you know, eat her. I thought you said that one's for you. And she's like, I'll take this one anyways. It's like, all right. Why can't I just eat it on Saturday? It just gave me a weird look. <laughs> like, you're working now and still forget the days of the week. To be fair, I worked two days. To be fair, that's true. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know. Things are things are getting back to normal. You're working. We're playing. You're playing Magic. I am playing Magic. It's on Arena, which is not, you know, my my perfect version of Magic, but it's still fun. Yeah. We got to jam a bunch of games, so that was nice. We did, and I didn't crush you at all of them. Either. No, you just beat me pretty bad in most of them. <laughs> I actually don't even know what the record wound up being. I wasn't paying attention. You you beat me way more than I beat you. All right. But it was some good learning and stuff like that, and it's nice because I can just talk through stuff with you. <laughs> yeah, and did not feel bad about it. So. I I actually really do like how we were playing against each other and just in the voice chat at the same time. So it oh was yeah, al- it was almost like we were face to face. Oh, I yeah, I would have to do that. Like if with you know in this situation because it's like I want to shout things at you, and so you can hear me like groan and stuff. <laughs> Like like on like the first game we played, I think it was turn four. You're just like, nope, I'm out. <laughs> nope, I'm out. Good, good talk. I know there was one other turn where I think I was like, are you freaking kidding me or something like that? When I like a cathartic reunion, pitching two lands, drawing three lands. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but my, I was actually thinking of one thing you said, mm-hmm. where I don't remember what we were doing exactly. Like, I did something for, like, multiple repeat times, and you're like, why are you only doing that? And, and I thought about it after the fact that, that uh, whatever deck you're playing, you also just kind of were doing the same thing, but I just wanted to do the more powerful thing. Because oh, yeah, I, was just be, I think I was just being a trolley dick or something yeah. like that. But Yeah, you, I don't, you, weren't, you weren't legitimately mad. I just oh, yeah, you know me. <laughs> but, all right, well, um, you know, we're a magic podcast. We got our magic talk out of the way. No, I'm kidding. Um. <laughs> So we're going to finish. We kind of had a break in there because there was this weird set that released. Um, <laughs> but I'm, uh, we're going to finish up, hopefully finish up today. Um, I think we can do it. I have faith. Um, can, I, I, I would like to make one small okay. aside to that. I do think okay, it's sure. funny that a lot of people were like, oh, man, there's like no way Ikoria is going to be strong enough to even have an impact in standard. And now everybody is like, ban this entire mechanic. Like, ban it all. See, all of it. <laughs> Like, luckily, I got it through my head and just stopped taking people seriously. Mm-hmm. And I'm, uh, I remember reading the Reddit thread and people were like, you know, it's cool that they're printing these cards and stuff with, like, mechanics like Dredge them, but, like, Treasure Cruise is just, like, hot garbage and won't even be playable in draft. <laughs> you know? They weren't wrong. It was actually really bad in draft. Oh, yeah. But, like, like they basically just were like, oh, it's completely unplayable. Like, like why did they just print these absolute shit cards and stuff like that and then it's like super broken i think there was a thread about people saying siege runner was trash too um <laughs> a lot of people thought siege runner was hot garbage yeah so um everybody's horrible at card evaluation including me so i just kind of am uh dial it back a little bit usually is what it is but see i actually think i'm really really good at card evaluation <laughs> because my card evaluation consists of it's a magic card i might see uh, that i might play mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> It's like the most basic draft common. It's like, oh, yeah, sure, it's a draft common. I might play that. Yeah. <laughs> it's very rare that I'm just like, oh my god, this is the most powerful card ever. Like the last time I straight up like I need to buy this card was Aurelia, who I wanted playing a lot. So yeah, that that deck was cool. Yep. And Feather, I think I bought a shit ton of Feather. Feather is awesome. I, I bought, or sorry, not a shit ton. I bought a playset of Feather because I'm like, I'm pretty I sure I looked at Feather. Card. I'm pretty sure I looked at Feather and I'm like, yeah, there's no way that's gonna work. Mm-hmm. And then wonderful, wonderful things happened. But I guess all right, deck. yeah, I miss that, yeah. and I miss Noodle. 
Let's get on our actual topic. I guess. Yes. Okay. So, all right, cool. So we're going to just finish up the, um, you know, the 20 years, 20 lessons, but, you know, looking at it from a tabletop gaming perspective, um, which we're not doing a lot of now. <laughs> um, but I think, as I said, you know, I think a lot of these have been good lessons for, you know, tabletop game design in general and everything. And um, for people who write their own games, especially. Uh, so. I'm going to hit them up, and I think there's some really, really hard hitters here, too. So this is going to be really, really good. So, all right. I'm, so, I'm excited to have nothing to say to things that you find really fascinating. I, I, you know me. I love the design process of it. But here's the deal. You have things to say because you, you, you write your own games. So this pertains to you. You, you run I, games. This pertains to you. I don't write my own games. I get ideas, and I leave them in my head. That's called writing a game. Shit. <laughs> <laughs> uh. But I don't know if I wrote them. I actually might be able to remember what I wanted to do in them. No, no man, you just got to get them all. Like, literally, like, I ran a, like a giant game of some sort or something like that, or like a, a like a really complex, not like really complex, but like there was a lot of stuff happening, stuff game and stuff like that. And like years later, I found the notes for it, and it was like one page, the front side only of um, a piece of wide rule of <laughs> notebook paper. <laughs> And just like basically like illegible scrawls that were like nothing, and so like I get it, man. Like that's how I write games too. So mm-hmm. like, and I think Tim found it and like read it and was like, "How? Like, <laughs> you know, like what the hell?" Oh yeah, because he had notebooks of stuff. Yeah, yeah. He's a very detailed. Uh, he 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 has a lot going on in his games and keeps the notes to make sure that everything is syncing up to some degree. I think, but yeah. I think he does a lot in his head too, and is very good like you know making stuff up as it were but so all right but let's dive into this so um we're on number 13 right now um so lesson 13 is make the fun part also the correct strategy to win um so for magic the way uh so your players will try to use a winning strategy and at the end though they will rightfully blame the game if it isn't fun um rosewater's example for this was odyssey (laughs) the entire set basically i think is what it was um because he had the idea it's like well what if we do this interesting thing and turn card advantage on its head kind of thing mm-hmm. uh and nobody people are like i want to play my friggin' cards why you know why would i want to discard them all yeah yeah so oh actually no that he has a different example for this one uh sorry i i, I didn't have the the thing up because i was trying to remember what it was but um so his his example for this one was the gotcha mechanic Oh, from Un. From Un. The, the Un. Yeah. So Which is funny, because yeah. yep. I suppose you can explain what it is. Yeah, so the gotcha mechanic was basically cards that, that had uh, a keyword where it was like, if if your opponent did something, since there were certain things you got to say gotcha and get this card back from your, from your favorite to your hand. So it was things like saying certain words, touching your face, if the player, if another card touched the table, um, if a player like flicked their cards, the his the one that he hates to this day is if your opponent laughed. Oh, that so, ha- that has to be the worst thing ever oh, in an upset. He, he beats himself up over that one, like, and the thing they didn't realize is is that when they were playing the game, they were playing it as intended. But people are going to play it to win, and yeah. people are going to play the role playing games to win too a lot. You know, that's how people play traditionally, um, and so. Like they didn't notice this and everything, but the whole the the correct way to do that then was to clam up and not do anything, yeah. you know. And so, with with role playing games, I mean, this is you know a big piece too. Like you you know your players want to do certain things in a role playing game. Like you know, like we said, this is a shared experience. Everyone's trying to get something out of this. The game master included, um, and. So, you know, if if you set it up where it's like, well, the way you beat this campaign is, you know, you have to kill your character and your characters don't, your players don't want to kill their characters. Like, I mean, they're going to do it, but they're not going to have a good time. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if the expectations are, you know, disconnected, it's not going to work. Or, you know, set, you know, setting up a game as like, oh, this is going to be like a, you know, non-combat game or whatever like that it's going to be a lot of politics and stuff and then have combat being the only way to succeed that's just bad design you know like 
setting up expectations is going to be a big thing here too. You're directing the players the correct way to go. And, and sometimes it may not necessarily just be what they like overall, but the direction the game is going in, like, you know, honestly, it's like if it, there's, I, I think one of the things we had, you know, with that D and D game you ran is, is indirectly this problem, but I think it was more on us. See, I was actually going to reference exactly that. It's like maybe yep. that was that was like another problem with the most yep. recent D D game that it ran, where yeah. the only way to quotations win the game reasonably, because I mean there mm-hmm. is technically a universe where you could somehow kill a dragon, mm-hmm. right? It yep. can happen, but the reasonable way to win was non combat, and I yep. think a lot of the fun quotations for people in D is combat it's just smacking things in the head like, yeah that's like that's like your default answer to everything if you're playing yep. dungeons and dragons you kick in the door and you kill the monster yeah and sometimes the door is trapped if you are too aggressive towards it and the monster is way over leveled right so it's like it was forcing you to try and approach it in a different direction and i think that's why there was a lot of frustration going See, on and i've always found i've found that to be cheap always in my opinion the which part we're like the we're when games lead you like that, like yeah. in certain ways. So, but, whoops, sorry. Continue. Say, but to be f- I to be fair to myself, I mm-hmm. don't think I was leading the game in a direction where it's like, oh, you're gonna need no. to do combat. You were you were fine. I think this was more on us. I think we created characters and had an, a de- an expectation of a D and D game, even though you told us multiple times what this was gonna be. Yeah, like this, like, this failing was on us. It wasn't on you. Yeah, but it, like, is, it is a world set in D&D. There is yeah. combat. It is not a heavy Com- combat yeah. game. Exactly, yeah. Like, the thing that annoys me always is, like, with that... Co- like, you know, we're expecting, like, you know, suppose the game was designed a little more with combat, so, and you hit the end and you're expected to do a non-combat thing. Like, that would just feel cheating. Like, yeah. the thing I've never liked in game design, even though it makes, like, sense and stuff like that, is... Um, directing players away from areas with um, like overleveled monsters and stuff. Yep. So like the one that clicks in my head right away is Fallout New Vegas. Um, so when you start the game, you have to like like literally do north of you is the like is the New Vegas where you like want to go and do everything. Yep. Um, it's literally called that. Yep. But in between the town you started in New Vegas is a bunch of death claws. <laughs> Like the the scariest damn creatures in the entire game, and the whole point is to to deter you so that you literally go all the way to the south, around a mountain range, all the way back up north, and then down and around back to New Vegas. I think that was sloppy ass game design. I hate it. I think it's awful. It feels horrible. It does not make the player feel good, whether it's right, wrong, or the other thing. I don't like it, especially in a game that touts. Like the like um uh you know the Bethesda games like that that are like oh, open world go do whatever you want kind of thing and it's just it's awful like the one place where I'm okay with like I'm kind of okay with it is is um uh, funny enough the Pokemon games uh uh Sword and Shield in the wild area they really let you know that those like special Pokemon in the center of the things are like scary as hell. Yeah, they they're, they say, hey, just so you know, the ones wandering out in the grass are wandering there because they're stronger, right? Yeah, and, and they tell you multiple times, they give you opportunities to get away from it easily and not, like, party wipe or anything and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. So, like, I'm okay with it. Like, I, So I'm not completely against the concept of it. I just don't like when it's just, like, all of a sudden it's like, hey, this happened. And it's so easy for somebody who doesn't understand games like for for new vegas or something like that to be like oh i'm gonna play this game and then they go out there and it's like what the fuck and keep running into it over and over again well that that was uh just to go back to the pokemon point like one the 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 other thing about that is uh you technically i think were capable of going into like the super high level area of it but there was someone who literally warned you not to and there was no story reason to go there Yep, they did not push. They did not push you that direction, and yeah. they literally tried to stop you from going there, like verbally. Like they're like, you have the freedom to go there, but like, there's literally a dude standing right by the bridge who's like, "Yeah, these monsters are super strong, dude." And I went over that bridge and I like saw some of them. And I'm like, 
Peace. And I left. <laughs> the first thing you see going over that bridge is a Snorlax. Yeah. And if you have any like knowledge of Pokemon in general, you're like, yeah, I don't want to mess with that. I mean, it's it's huge if nothing else. Like, yeah. which which is also a big indicator. Like, and I get it with like Death Claws with Vegas. It's like, but the, know, okay, like but they're gonna chase you down and rip you to shreds if as soon as you see one though at that level. Yeah, and like that's the entire thing. Like, they could have just designed the game differently, where it instead of having like because Bethesda wants to have the oh, it's a giant open world, you can do whatever you want. Yeah. They had to make it a giant open world, mm-hmm. so the only thing they could do to stop you is to put a death claw there. Yeah, and then you have that giant issue of just like, well, why is it open world if I can't go there? Yeah, I know. Like, I, honestly, everybody is like, oh, New Vegas was an awesome game. I do not think it was that good. There's my take. We'll argue about that one later. But I'm, uh, so that was thirteen. Make the fun part also the correct strategy to win. All right. So number fourteen. Don't afraid to be blunt. <laughs> People can just miss the obvious sometimes. Sometimes, you know, <laughs> like all of these are tools in the toolbox. Sometimes the tool you have to use is a hammer. <laughs> like, so the example Rosewater had for this was um, uh, when they were making Rise of the Eldrazi. Um, and the card in particular was Ulamog's Crusher. And what they found is, you know, it's an 8 8 for 8 with Annihilator 2. And, they're, and it's like, this card is good. You want to attack with it, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and they found out when they were testing it that people would play the card and not attack with it because they didn't want something bad to happen to their big creature. And they tried things, you know, like, you know, doing all this stuff and like, you know, trying to make it like get players to want to attack with it. Finally, they're just, they just, they're like, but we'll just make it attack. It has to attack every turn. And, and that worked. And sometimes you just got to hit it with the hammer and everything. And you know, once they attacked with it, they realized, oh, wait, this is awesome. I'm attacking with an 8 8 with Annihilator 2. Like, <laughs> yeah, that thing is really, yep. really good. <laughs> yep. So, um, uh, but like, you know, in you know and Rosar says this in his thing too as games as, as game designers and I think and I I believe people who who uh run role playing games are game designers I think it's a lot of the same skill set which is why I'm doing this um you know we're it's it's an art form and we're constantly be you know and artists typically they want to to show not tell they want to be they want subtlety they want these things and you know sometimes we can all be a little too over subtle Mm-hmm. <laughs> like where, where things kind of get lost in the weeds and everything and stuff like that and sometimes it's okay to just tell your players flat out stuff you know like i remember a few of the uh i think uh i don't remember if i did it or if i stole it from dan i think it was dan of fear the boot was talking about that where like they were playing a space game or something like that and you know they they, they landed the ship and then they're like like the party needs to go to the spot to like do something or whatever and stuff like that. But there's only the party and they're like, well, we have to leave people back to guard the ship. And like, they're literally arguing about this. And finally he just stops them and says, here's the deal. I'm not going to do anything to your ship. <laughs> like just tells them flat out. Like, and like, some people really hate that. I think we, I think we as game masters need to know when to do that and step in a little more. Because people will have more. People are not going to have fun if their character is literally sitting there doing nothing. Oh yeah, right. right? I mean, hey, as as I've said as the lesson before this, right? Um, make the fun, you know, make the fun the correct thing to do. So like, but like, how many games have you seen that kind of thing happen? Right. Like, yeah, people constantly like splitting the party, right? Yeah. And there are pros and cons to splitting a gaming group party, you know, yep. like. Because then you can have a more focused RP session with some people. You know, mm-hmm. some people have their own little personal storylines that you want to have them so they can feel yeah. like they accomplished something. Yada yada yada. Sometimes it's just interesting. You know, it's fine. Yeah, like, there's times to do it. It's really interesting when you like you split a party and just see like like either a you'll discover that there's tends to be like you know these two people are always together and these two people are always together. Yep. And other times you'll it, you know if the people are more flexible they'll just start switching and you have like weird little personal interactions between everyone. Yeah, but you also like when you do that, you want both groups to be doing things. You don't want one group who it's like, all right, you two go off, and then you two are just going to sit on your butts, and nothing's going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Because or like, I'm going to make up some superfluous encounter to like entertain you, which is awful too. Yeah, that's yeah. also awful because that's just detracting time away from what you yeah. know could quotations better things be happening as it were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, and I that's sorry. 
I say that's not to say that you know uh, a random idea off the top of your head is necessarily worse than the thing that you had planned out to happen. No, but like but, sometimes you just don't want to do that. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, this is what I want to happen, and I want everyone there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and like you know, also with like design of like you know secrets and dungeons and like puzzles and things like that it's it's really easy to get lost in the weeds and everything like i i spent a lot of time um so that puzzle from the fight the firefly game that uh we played for the um uh with the bible verses and everything Mm -hmm. like that one i spent a lot of time agonizing over that worrying if i made it too complex and nitty and everything so i actually built into the game ways to make it so that you could literally go ask somebody for the answer i don't remember did we wind up actually figuring that one out basically what i said like my my thing was is because the last part of it was so convoluted like not convoluted like you have to know something for it and everything you have to know that like that like biblical connection between the two different parts of the Bible. And as I basically, my policy was as soon as anyone made a reference to that, if it seemed like you guys were struggling, I gave it to you. And, right. and um, uh, Richie made a reference to it. Then he basically said, he's like, isn't this something from like the new Testament or that something like that? I'm like, boom, you got it. Like, and I just gave it to him. Yeah. I and remember was it was, fu- it was funny because Richie, like he actually has like a history of like doing something. Yeah. Truthfully, yeah right. Like, yeah. And like we knew it was going to be a Bible related puzzle that we had to figure out. Mm-hmm. And we're like, all right, Richie, this is all you. And he's like, damn it. <laughs> yeah. But like literally, like, you know, if you knew the person's history and stuff, like you could go ask the preacher in the town and he'd basically give you the answer straight up. Mm. Like that's how I, I, I set it up just like that. So like because I knew that would be a gate. So I, I like I wanted to have some amount of the subtlety there, but also I realized that it's like, you know, in, in a certain situation here, I'm just gonna have to give you know, take out the hammer and hit you guys with it to make sure you get it. But so, so all right, that was fourteen. Don't afraid. Don't be afraid to be blunt. Oh, you actually said it right this time. What, what did I say? Uh, the just what you almost did again. You missed. You missed the B the first time you said it. Don't be afraid to be blunt. No, you just oh, said did I say don't be afraid you, to blunt. <laughs> no, you said don't be af- don't afraid to be blunt. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you almost said it the second time. Derp. All right. So, all right. Um, so number fifteen. So design the component for the audience it's intended for. Um, so when you aim to please everyone, you often please no one. It's important to understand what different kind of things your players want, as well as the different kinds of players you have. You know, that sounds like one that's. It, like exactly directed towards uh, role-playing games. Uh, Rosewater's example was the card Molten Century from Ravnica, which kind of didn't please anybody. Um, so I'm not going to read the whole card thing. You can go read. This, you can go listen to his speech and everything there. But so I'm, I think I'm, I'm going to look uh, it up. So I don't know what it is. Uh, so basically, it's it's a creature. It's a star star creature for four. That when it comes into play, you flip a coin. If it's heads, um, it's a five two. If it's tails, it's a two five with defender um if it's if it, it's a 5-2 with haste it's a 2-5 with defender otherwise so basically what he's saying like it's not really a card for johnny jenny but timmy likes coin flipping but they don't like the balance outcomes because that's boring they want something exciting spike likes the balance outcomes because it makes for an interesting card but they don't like the randomness because that doesn't let them show their skill so it didn't please anybody so tldr there we are um yeah. this, card, this card sucks yeah right um so I think the biggest thing about this is knowing your group and understanding what they want. Um, and the, the big thing about here is it says designing the component. You know, it's not necessarily you're designing, you know, the whole the whole experience to target a single vector here. Um, like when I think about this, it's like, you know, when you're when you're sitting there and you're designing, you're you're thinking through an encounter and like how you want to set this thing up for, you know, one player in your party optimize it for that player you know make it the best experience to to shine the spotlight on that character and let them have and let them have their moment the other characters are going to get their moments too you're going to design components for them too but like you know make sure that that you're optimizing for that because if you're like well i'm going to design this component for this person but or this encounter for this person but I'm I'm gonna hedge some things off of that for this other person. You you just muddy the water and you make it, it 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 doesn't stand out then. 
you know, I think, I, I, you know, I think this is something we can fall into really is of trying to please everyone all the time. And I think we just need to, we just need to make sure we're pleasing everyone sometimes, you know, as, and you're supposed to be moving that spotlight and walking, you know, and moving it around and everything and make sure everybody gets their moment. And if you do it like that and maximize those moments, it's going to work much better. I've, yep. I one one of my favorite things about this exact thing is it's the most common thing you ever see from Maro, at least in my opinion, mm-hmm. is not every card is designed for every person. Yep. And, and like, like yeah. he he very much lives by this design rule, as it were. Oh yeah. In that regard, for a lot of stuff, and a lot of people just are so I don't want to say self centered, but basically self centered that they don't realize not every card is meant for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Like, you know, we we hate on our stuff, but at the end of the day, it's like, you know, everybody loves something about this game and it's not the same thing that it is for you. And, you know, I think, and as I said, I'm translating that to to role-playing games here. I think everybody loves some, or, you know, I think everybody can love something about your game and it doesn't have to be the same thing about it, you know? And, like, that's, I mean, that's the cool thing is, is that these things are so big that, you know, you can kind of, you know, move that around, but... All right, so that was 15, design the component for the audience it's intended for. All right, 16, be more afraid of boring your players than challenging them. When you try something grandiose and fail, players will forgive. They will understand that you are trying to do something awesome. When you bore the players, they will stop playing. Respect your players, and they will appreciate it. So, Maro's example for this was... um, Split cards. <laughs> um, it was templated out for the first onset, actually, and then they ended up putting it into Invasion. And uh, peop- yeah, that's what it is here. Was it wasn't Invasion. All right, um, on the first day, so what was Fire? Yeah, it was Invasion. It was Invasion. Okay. So um, basically, yeah, Rosario says he's like, I pitched these cards. Bill Rose, the lead designer of Invasion, liked it. He put them in the set. Showed them to Richard. Richard liked them. So it was. Bill, Richard, and Morrow, and that was everybody <laughs> that, that liked them. Um, yeah. A lot of people had problems with them. They tried got tried to get killed from the the set multiple times. Ended up being um, the most popular mechanic in the set because <laughs> like the cards are sweet. They are sweet, right? And it's it's about transcending. I mean, think about double face cards. That was huge too. That was an uphill battle. Uh-huh. Like that was something that um uh, people really freaked out about. Um. You know, for for gaming, tabletop gaming and stuff like this, my my big thing here is like I always kind of say, it's like middling games are just kind of forgettable. <laughs> you know, we've had a lot of middling games. I think when we were t- we kind of looked over this and talked about it, and we brought up a, like we talked about a bunch of games that were like, oh yeah, that one, oh yeah, that one, oh yeah, that one, that we kind of forgot because they're just like they didn't do anything. You know, I mean, you literally. I think it was the last time we were on this topic. Like, you literally brought up a game that I completely forgot even existed. And I right? took, I still can't remember what game it even was. Yeah, what one like, was I'm like, what game was that you were talking about? I'm like, I don't remember. Because, yeah. like, to me, it didn't matter. Yeah. You know, to you, it's like, oh, it was just like, you know, it just didn't go well. You think things didn't go smoothly a lot. And I just forget it existed. Was it the, the that uh, Diceless Miss game? Yes, the Diceless Miss That one. Yeah, that game was not very good. You think I'd remember playing like the one and only time I've ever played Diceless System? But it no. was very ho hum, and the system was not good because um, I tried building it. Um, but it was honestly, it was a first play test, so what do you do? Yeah. Um, but like, I feel like the games that are are better are the ones that try something different and I don't care if they succeed or fail. Most games where you try something big. There's a good there's a good thing about them, whether it's something with the world or something with the design of the party or something, you know, whatever whatever piece you're looking at and trying to, you know, to look at with that and everything, like, you know, I like the best the best games that I have ran are not the ones where I sat down and and went, man, I'm just gonna like write a module style D and D game, mm-hmm. like I, I don't think like I. I don't really do that to start out either, but like I don't think I have ever had success with that. Like I can think of some of the old D and D games I ran like before you were around, and they were 
awful. And that's also because I didn't think about this stuff as much and didn't have as much practice. But like, you know, even any of those games, it's like, wow, these are atrocious, man. Like, you know, and it's not and it's not because they were bad. It's because they just didn't do anything. You know, so that's why, like, you'll notice a lot of the games I've I've been running will have there'll be like one hook in it. Like, I kind of design it. I'm I'm like, this is the thing that I kind of want to try and see if I can do something with it. And I'll kind of build around that. And that piece may or may not be visible by the end, but I feel like I get better games at the end because of that. And I think this will actually play into a different lesson later on here. But, um, but you know, I, I think. I think it's cool. It's it's better to try cool things, to try things that will excite your players instead of just doing middle of the road things and playing it safe all the time. This is this is a, just another uh, lesson that I think is it's being unappreciated that this is a lesson that they want to follow in regards to modern magic right now. Right, like how many times have we heard, you know, like ban every card from 2019? You know, it's <laughs> ban like, any card from 2019. Yeah, yeah, like ban just, all the companions, right? Yeah, like we hear all these things from all these people and blah blah blah. And the funny thing is, like when you try something grandiose and fail, players will forgive. Yeah, and it's really funny because you'll never see someone post on Twitter. It's like, hey, Maro, you know, we know you try and you want to yeah. make things exciting, and it didn't go well. You'll get it next time, right? You see all, that more on his blog, actually. But, <laughs> but like all, you, yeah. yeah, all you ever see on like the large social media ones for mm-hmm. is just, just people like giving him so much shit, and no one ever forgives him. But then they come back two months later and buy the next set. And I wonder yeah, if Maro right. just sees that as he, winning. He gets it. He understands. Like he, he just accepts it. He's like, he's like, you know what? He's like, people, people are more likely to complain at you than they are to say thank you. He's like, that's fine. You know, and he, and the thing he always says to us is like, you know, the reason people are complaining to you is because they care about the game. And he's like, I can appreciate that. You know, he's like, I understand that. And I, I very much respect that. And it's nice to see that people, you know, care about the things you're doing, whether it's positive or negative. So, yeah. and they but, keep coming back. So clearly yeah, you're doing something right. right I know. There. I know. Right. But so 16, be more afraid of boring your players than challenging them. So 17. You don't have to change much, change everything. Instead of asking how many components you need to add, ask how little. So um, the, exact, the example that I'm, uh, Rosewater uses here, um, he actually uses his peas example about filling up too many peas, but like, you know, um, about Ravnica. The, the original design of Ravnica was, okay, we want to make a multicolor set, but we want to make it different from Invasion. So instead of play as many colors as you can, we're going to make it play as few colors as you can, which would be two because it's multicolor. Yeah. So that's not a big change when you really think about it. Like, they're both multicolor sets, but, like, nobody's going to confuse Invasion and Ravnica, right? No. Like, <laughs> at all. Like, mechanically or anything. Like, it's just the two sets are completely different. And, um, yep. uh, Yeah. You want to know the funny thing? Like the first thing that popped in my head for you don't have to change much to change everything. Uh-huh. Something I literally have no experience with whatsoever. What? Damage on the stack. Oh, that was that one, was huge. One small change for all yeah. intents and purposes. That was a small change. I mean, it's just yeah, changed kind, kind of. It was a huge change actually, but yeah, well, like it it was a huge change, but it was literally damage no longer uses the stack. Damage happens instantaneously. Yep. Say say it in two sentences, and it's like, right. oh man, like the implications for that. But and it drastically changed the game. People thought it was going to be the end of magic. Oh yeah, Mar- I mean, Mark Fanatic. Have... Yeah, Mark Fanatic went from being the bomb diggity amazing to hot garbage. Yeah, I love I love Mark Fanatic still. I still love it. It's my boy. Don't you ever die, Mog Fanatic. But, um, well, he does because he crashes into the ground. Um, He's but, supposed to die. Yeah, he is. Um, but, like, so this, yeah, this thing is, I think people, when they're designing games, are really trying to cram things into the game. Like, it's so easy, especially with world building. This is where I see it. They want to have so many things piled into that world and so many concepts and so many changes and so, and just so much happening that it gets overwhelming. Like the, the place I see this as what, like one of the biggest sins to some degree is, is the, um, uh, pro, the um, uh, proper noun soup of world of darkness. But like, 
that's just the setting stuff. I feel like they're trying to put so much into the setting that yep. it's just convoluted. But like this this is one of the things I really like to do, you know. Like so when you have a setting and everything, like people expect a game to kind of people have, you know, all the stuff they understand about RPGs and all that. Like, you know, when you play a D&D, like when you play a fantasy game, you understand that elves are pretentious D-bags that live a long time and dwarves are industrious, you know, moles that dig into mountains and, you know, halflings steal everything and are awful. Like, you know, you you understand certain things about the world. And if you take just one of those things and kind of twist it and turn it on its head, I think that's fine. But but imagine if you went into a fantasy game and it's like, okay, well, elves are actually, you know, the strong aggressive race here. Um, and, you know, halflings are the like woodsy pretentious race and stuff like that. And, you know, dwarves steal everything and half orcs are the, you know, talking races. Like it creates a lot of confusion because of the baggage that you have. And there's no gain to it is the thing, except for creating confusion. You're like, like, I think orcs, you have like a personal vendetta. You're like, I think orcs are, you know, way cooler than people realize. Yeah. Exactly. So I'm going to make orcs be the the high, the high class, you know, yeah. haunty, all the knowledge in the world race. Yeah. yeah and like, I, I looked at a, um, uh, so I had an old world I built. I never played a game in the world, but I was, I was doing world building and this was a long time ago. Um. And I kind of did stuff like that, like crazy on it. And I realized how awful it was. There were some good things about it, but like, you know, like I completely changed how like elves function in the game and like completely changed how I think it was gnomes function in the game and stuff like that. But, and it just kind of threw things off. But like, you know, it's like, but think about this. It's like you leave all the races exactly the same as they are, like how they function and act and everything for the most part. But dwarves are now the primary race in the world. Like, that's one small change. That changes a lot about the game and actually is interesting without being overloading. Mm -hmm. You know, like, things like that. And that's one of the things that I like to do when I start writing games and stuff like that is, is like, okay, I'm going to take this thing and I'm going to make one change, you know, one change to how the, the expected cosmology or something about the game would be to some degree. You know, so it's like, you know, the the... I haven't said anything about like that D that um uh, Pathfinder game I was running. Like I I made one change to how I view the cosmology of the world, and it just changed everything. I actually stole it from somewhere else, but um, <laughs> you know, and or like the um uh, you know the the everybody's done it before if they play this kind of thing. The the My Little Pony game, but make it, but turn the tone upside down. You know, you're not changing anything about the cosmology except for that piece. You know, it's it's really easy to change a lot about a world or a game by just changing one little piece. And I think trying to add and cram things in there is really overwhelming. Yeah. In this world, all dwarfs exclusively have litters. Yeah, right. <laughs> you now have gobbo dwarfs or something. I don't know, man. But all right. <laughs> okay. All right. I was 17. You don't have much to, you don't need you don't have to change much to change everything. All right. Number number 18. Maro's mantra. Restrictions breed creativity. Placing restrictions on yourself leads you to places that you never would naturally go. Um this like if you follow Maro, he talks about this all the time. Uh, the example he uses is is you know what's easier for him to write for his articles. He's written thousands, you know, hundreds of them. Um, you know, is it the open ended week where you can write anything, or is it the theme week where you have a restriction? You know, it's always the one with the restriction that's easier actually to be creative if you put a restriction on yourself because of how your brain works and everything and stuff like that. But like, man, this. If anybody takes a lesson out of like any of Maro's stuff, I feel like this is one of them for creative people. Like you just need to like listen to this. Yeah. Like <laughs> yeah. It's 
uh, once again, I'm going to tie this into magic because I feel like I have to make at least one magic reference every three <laughs> things we talk about. Hey, that's better than none. Like, that's a really big thing for me when it comes to common deck decks that I build. I build with under a restriction. You yep. know, like when I built blue, black, control, and modern, I was asked, why aren't you just playing Grixis? I'm like, because I don't want to play Grixis. I want to play blue, black. I want to play blue, black, control. I want to <laughs> know if it's possible. You know, mm-hmm. it's like I don't, I don't want to do the better thing. I want to see if I can. There's something that is people are missing. You know, yep. like far and away, it's a really powerful magic card that sees no play whatsoever. Yeah, that card's great. That card is super underrated, in my opinion. Yeah, but... I mean, honestly, the one, the main thing I would change is I'd flip the mana costs on them, where the balance oh, yeah. would be three and the edict would be two. But we, up until you know Liliana's Triumph, we have never had a diabolic edict in. Yeah. Uh, standard or modern as we're in. Now we do. Now we have multiple. So yep. now we have multiple all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, like I mean, we never we wouldn't have unexpected results if it wasn't for this lesson. <laughs> like exactly. Like that, and that, and that I learned so much from that experience of building and playing that deck. Like about about playing and and with and building good decks. I think that I wouldn't have learned if I just tried to do it the right way. I know that sounds ridiculous, but I feel like. I would have glossed over the lessons I needed to do. It's like, so you don't really, really understand stuff until you actually have to kind of like go through the fire to get it, if that makes sense. Like, so I was really proud of myself because one day, and this is super basic stuff. I'm an idiot, but like I was, I was tinkering around with programming, you know, cause that's what I do. Some I would do that sometimes. And I'm uh, like, I, I was working on a game and stuff like that. I'm like, oh, well, I, to figure this thing out, I need to actually, like, so I have, like, a plane, and I need to calculate the distance between these two points. And I'm like, well, I don't know the formula to calculate distance for that. So I actually, like, f- like, and it's a super easy proof, actually. Like, I'm sure anyone who knows math for real is just like, yeah, you're a, you're an idiot. Go back to grade school. But, um, like, figured out the distance equation, but, like, by myself actually, like, going backwards and throwing into it, and I understood the whole process way better because of it, instead of just being, like, here's the formula to calculate distance between the two things. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, so, like, I think that's, like, a really good thing about some of that stuff, but, like, that was a little off-tangent, but, so, for the gaming aspect of this, um, you know, I think we all want to sit I, I think we as players and gms want to sit down and have everything available to us but i think setting those restrictions amazing things can come out of it um i think you you want to know what you're trying to do and try to build in that framework and really stick to that and understand those restrictions i mean creating too many artificial restrictions is going to cause you issues but you know because in the end your goal is to make a good game like that is the thing but setting that single restriction on yourself i think really makes the game you're building better and one of the places i think it shines even better is setting restrictions on character creation like players just want to make their own characters that they want but i have had way more success with people when i say here's the here's the general box you need to fit your character into make a character like you know if if we play a, if we play a dnd game and we're just like everybody just makes characters all over the hell like the groups don't mesh the characters are non-cohesive and kind of just don't clash they clash against each other but not in a good way not a way that creates meaningful party you know meaningful rp like but when you're when you're like okay here is here is you are you ended up at this point and these are the like small set of conditions you need to make i'm not like a tyrant saying like building their character for them but i'm like these are the conditions that need to happen build your character we've gotten way better characters out of that like the iron claw game you know i set restrictions on character creation for that game like i set some pretty strict restrictions it even though it doesn't sound like it the restriction was is that you need to be part of this noble house figure it out yeah we needed to be bisclaverite yep yep you you needed to be Bisclavere, and you need to be part of this house. And, like, I want—I generally wanted them to be in good standing with the house. You know, I don't want them to be, like, part of that house because they're, like, a captured prisoner there or something, like, you know, like... Mm-hmm. Or, or something like that. Or, like, some, you know, maybe if somebody was, like, oh, we're a ward or everything. And the characters we got out of that, most of them were phenomenal. Like, they were good characters, and the game flowed super well, and everybody played super, super good. 
like you know and i i I feel like those restrictions it makes people think a little more instead of just saying well what character i want to make and you head back to the same thing you always do so dan's always making a damn ninja like you know and he got away with it in that one but he didn't play a ninja he played a shit-wrecking two-handed sword wielding bodyguard Okay, yeah. Okay, he played a, a character that he yeah. plays. In this like, case, he was a combat monster. Yeah. But, like, it pulls people out of those ruts and everything and stuff like that. Like, you know, I wonder if I didn't take your restrictions too seriously enough for the game I'm playing here, the, the last D&D game we played. Because, as I said, I basically built the same character I built before. In my head. Like, yeah. when I was building the character from concept, it didn't turn out that way when playing. But... In concept, the character was almost exactly the same as another one that I played. And I feel like that's a character type I fall back on a lot. The thing, I don't remember... Did I necessarily put a restriction on character creation, though? You didn't. You just you just said um, uh, they should be social characters. Yeah, I think my entire, my entire thing was like, this game is not going to be the most combat-heavy. Yep. I want you all to know each other. Yep. And you have to have some connection to the city. Yeah, I think. Which, or no, because no, because we didn't have any connection. Or I didn't have any connection to the city. You had to have a reason to want to be in the city. Okay, yeah, we had a reason to be there. That's what it was. Yeah. But like, and I think I should have taken it a little tighter than that, even like in hindsight. But you know, I don't know. So yeah, it is what it is. But all right, so that note was some um, uh, note to self: restrict players more. I so here's the deal: everybody wants complete freedom. I don't think that is the correct way. I think you want to restrict people. People like, want. Com- I, I. This is a hill I am willing to die on too. Like <laughs> that's the thing. People want complete freedom. Yeah. Un- because because when they have like a specific character idea in mind, yeah, and they want to play that character, but yep. then for that character to work, suddenly you have to build the world around that character. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And then. And sometimes that can wow. work. Like it's it's it, working it, with people, but a lot of the times it doesn't. I mean, it can work, but at that point, why is that player not just running the game? Yeah, right, to some degree. Like, if you have to bend the world that much, the funny thing is, this is literally kind of the next lesson ties into this. But, mm-hmm. um, so, but like, yeah, it's like, you know, everybody wants that complete control, but I just think they don't know. They don't know they don't want it. They don't know what complete freedom actually means. Exactly. Yeah. It's, it's a misunderstanding, as you can think so. But, all right. It's just to yeah. use like a pseudo real world example is like, there are a lot of people right now who, all, who normally would just never go outside, right? Like their mm-hmm. their primary hobby of choice would be inside or whatever. Yep. The fact that they're not allowed to go outside right now because of you know, the yeah, yeah. the plague is suddenly everyone wants to go for a walk, <laughs> and it's really funny, right? Like you yep. you always want something when suddenly you're not allowed to have it. <laughs> oh yeah, totally. Yep. But, <laughs> uh, okay, so that was eighteen restrictions breed creativity. All right, we're going to get these last two done. So um, so on kind of a similar note here, so 19. Um, your audience is good at recognizing problems and bad at solving them. This is So this is a life lesson too here. I have seen this at work too, being somebody who fixes people's IT problems. Um, but so, um, so your players have a better understanding than you do about how they feel about your game and can identify the problems better than you in a lot of cases. However, they're not equipped to solve those problems. They don't know the tools you have available nor your restrictions. Um, so the example Rosewater uses here um, is, uh, and this is perfect too. So um, it's better for this lens is you go to a doctor's appointment. What does the doctor always do first? They ask you how you're feeling. And why is that? Well, because you know how you're feeling. They don't. But very rarely does a doctor say, well, how should we fix that? <laughs> because they're better equipped to handle that. They have the skills and the training and the tools to be able to resolve the problem, but not necessarily always identify the problem or they need your help identifying the problem. And I think games are very, very similar in this way. You know, like it's really easy when you're playing through a game and stuff like that to to get a perception from the players and kind of get an idea. But until they communicate about to you or what they think is the problem you really don't understand but if they said oh i want more of this like or you know do this exact thing or something like that it's like well does that fit with the game you know 
how how does that fit with the whole scheme of things you know are you capable of doing that even like you know there's a lot of pieces of that puzzle that they don't know because they can't see behind the scenes they don't understand what the game is what the game the whole game is kind of about they don't understand what else is happening to be able to put in there they may not even understand the mechanical context of something they may be asking there so you know i mean obviously like the solution to this is talk to your players um you know ask what they they like and and don't like um ask what they like too i feel like that's something that gets glossed over a lot um i still have some sour feelings about a game that i was like i ended early because i thought nobody liked it and then they're like oh you know we liked that game that was a fun one and i'm like well thanks guys like <laughs> that was awesome um so you know if you need to work something into your game you understand that better than they do you know so again this is a shared experience to work with everybody on something here um and you know it's trusting your players and hoping your and and you know giving your players the opportunity to trust you have you ever been in a gaming group where like a gm sat down with the group and they're like all right what kind of game do you guys want to play and they actually gave a reasonable answer no i don't think so <laughs> Because, like, I've always thought about doing that, just being like, all right, guys, what do you want to do? Give me a week, I'll make a game. Like, I might be able to do that. I might be able to do that. But I, like, so the thing is, is, like, when you sit down and ask that question, like, what are you expecting as, what are you expecting as an answer? I don't know. That's like, a, that's a fascinating thing. Like, I'm, I'm curious what I would get as an answer. But the thing is, I feel like we're, we're going to tie back to, um, uh, Lesson 19, you're not putting any restrictions on them. You're asking them yeah. a giant open-ended question, and I think everyone would just freeze. Every, I think everyone would just freeze. Like, there's some things I have in my head, but, like, the things I have that I want to do are more conceptual than they are practical. Like, mm. I feel like most people would be, like, if they thought about it, they're like, oh, man, I'd love to play a, um, uh, you know, a high fantasy D&D game or something like that, you know? And it's like, okay, cool. And, I, like, for me, it'd be like, man, I want to play a game where we explore this theme. <laughs> like. You know, like I like I want this to be the thing that we're looking at here to some degree. You know, I want a game with like you know, like I want a game that has a like a duality to it of the role playing piece and then a more game like aspect piece of it, like a battle tech game or you know, like the board game, like the RP slash board game one that I talked about one time, like kind of thing. You know, like that's where I would come at it from. Yeah. So like I feel like it would be almost like useless to some degree, but you know. But I yeah, still, I think you're I right. I still really want to do that, like BattleTech plus MechLawyer crossover. Oh yeah, I totally want to do it too. But we'll have to try that. Yeah, that's what well, that's on the docket to try for sure. I um, want to do it, and I want to have not me be the lance leader. Okay, you can run it. I don't want you to be the lance leader either. <laughs> so here's what you do: um, you assign someone. Well, that, that, that's the thing. Like, I want this because I feel like I might be... I don't know if this is true, but mm -hmm. just like knowing our playgroup, I feel like I might be better at tactic-based games than other people, and I don't want to be the one who's calling all the shots in the board game version. I, I, I agree want, I agree with you. I think you would be. I want someone else to be the one calling the shots. <laughs> I really want to do... So a game that I've also like kicked around in my head that I really want to do is I want to do a bridge command game. Mm-hmm. And I have two ways I want to do it. Either one as a board, as a like tabletop RPG game, or two to get really complex. There's a free bridge simulator out there and everything, like yep. application uh, that I could actually set up and everything in our network. And I would actually want to do like RP with it, but then play out scenarios using that. <laughs> That'd be fascinating. That would be absolutely fascinating. Like the bridge command games just sounds super interesting. And have and put the captain as somebody who. Like, like I fill power vacuums. Yep. You know, like somebody not me would be a good bridge commander. Like, or would be fun to have as a bridge commander. Like, like because for me that's just that's my job. You know, in mm -hmm. some ways, this is like taking information, make decisions. Like that's what I'm a manager. That's what I do all the time. You know, so it'd be like kind of like whatever for me. But like, you know, as you said, with the lance commander or like something like that, like pointing out somebody and saying you, you are it. See, that's kind of where I come from also on it, because, like, 
I I am obviously not at the same degree as you, but I am also someone who kind of just fills power vacuums. I do yep, it in exactly. games, and yep. I do it in a lot of my jobs. You know, yep. like I do it in um, I I didn't I'm I didn't necessarily do it at McDonald's, but I mean like I was <laughs> I was creature. You know, I just slowly just did what I needed to do at McDonald's all the time. I do it at my current job where I'm like mm-hmm. the pseudo second in commands to the. Uh, director of operations. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not an official title, but I'm there because I'm willing to do it, and I'm I make sure shit gets done right. Yep, exactly. And yeah, I, I game the same way. Yep. Yeah, I've so, noticed that. Like, I mean, when we play games together, there can be like, there's not a tension. I don't want to say, but like, yeah. you can definitely see when one of us is pulling back, the other one's pulling forward to like really direct things. Mm-hmm. It's interesting, but yeah. So, all right. <laughs> okay. Anything else to say about that one? Nope, cool. All right. Should we get this last one done? Yeah. All right. You, so. you like to ask me questions right when I have a thing, uh, like a drink of water in my mouth. <laughs> I like. Yeah. I almost tried talking through it, but I was like, I shouldn't do that. That would go uh, poorly. Okay. But, all right. So the last lesson, which is kind of a cheat, and Rosetter kind of said it too, but um, uh, the lesson, the last lesson is all the lessons can ask. Um, so they, so basically all these lessons, obviously, as you start looking at them, you can see the threads that trace between them. Um, and, you know, if you do this one thing, it's going to affect this other thing, you know, and, and all of this kind of intertwines and everything to make this kind of holistic view of game design. So to bring it back to, so, and Rosewater talks about it with his presentation about the connecting threads and everything. And his joke is, is that, you know, Instead, he wa- originally he wanted to change the, or have the name be 20 Years One Very Complex Interconnected Holistic View of Game Design, but it wasn't as catchy as this title, so he went with this. Um, so, but with, so with tabletop game design, I think one of the things we need to think about is, is that there's a lot of components to these games. There's characters, there's the specific location, there's the specific encounter, there's this world you've created, there's this, you know, this session, there's, there's all these different like individual pieces, but we're not designing you know when you're making a game you're not designing this specific npc you're not designing the specific dungeon you're not designing this account you're designing the entire game at once and remembering all these lessons need to kind of filter back into it and connect all the pieces need to make the whole thing work and work towards the same goal and being conscious of how each of those pieces works in that whole is very very important um rosewater said when designing magic cards um uh it's a, it's a lesson he got from uh uh, screenwriting, actually, as he said, or one of his teachers always said, uh, no line is worth a scene, no scene is worth a movie. And he always says that with um, with magic cards and stuff, it's like, if a card is not, if if a card or a component is not serving the set, you need to pull it out. Even if it is the best mechanic ever made, if it's not serving the needs of the set, it needs to be gone. And you can put it in somewhere else. And I think as people who design tabletop game designs when we make characters when we make campaigns when we make all this stuff we get a cool idea and we want to do it i mean how many times has that happened to us all the time all the time right like but i think we really need to be conscious of the pieces we're putting into it and saying it's like okay i got this cool idea for during this game that i'm writing does it fit the game you know and i actually have a one note document now where i put things like that down and and write them down so that i remember them and everything and um uh so like um uh, I don't know if it was good a good idea actually but um uh, the dream catchers if you remember that scenario we ran that like one shot uh I the, don't based off the name oh was, yeah yeah the yep. the, the little, little robot dudes yep the little the little robots who would basically absorb people's bad dreams and get corrupted over time they're like mm. little homunculus or whatever uh that idea came while I was running another game. Uh, it was actually that Pathfinder game. I was when I was writing the world and stuff to that. This idea came up from something else or something like that. I think I saw a piece of art and got inspired um, yeah. from something completely different. But um, and I was like looking to see. I'm like, can I put this in the game? And I realized I'm like, this doesn't fit what that game is trying to do. And so I actually pulled it out and set it off to the side. And I think it worked better as a standalone piece um, than it would have as a component of that game um, if I had tried. But and I have a few things like that that I keep kind of slotting off to the side like that. I think I agree with that. There was a lot of because that would have been just a very very different pace from what we were already having, right? Mm-hmm. It just would it wouldn't have fit. 
Yeah, exactly. And I think recognizing that is very important. Um, and as I said, all the components of your game, you know, the NPCs, the encounters, the world as a whole, the mechanics, the mechanics also need to be holistically focused to making that game that you're doing the best game it can be. Um, and that has many different definitions and that is totally fine. You know, uh, it's it's in the end, it's what the best experience for you and your players is and everything. And I think one of the things in there that needs to be included too is not just NPCs and stuff like that that the GM has control over, but I think the characters the players are making needs to be something that is considered too. But that's me. So, all right. We did it. We got through all of them. <laughs> Go us. Thank you for slogging along with me, John. I appreciate you entertaining my flights of fancy. It was all right. It was, it was it was acceptable and tolerable. So <laughs> it's not the worst episode idea you've ever had. I've had some pretty bad ones, but <laughs> hey, man, if you you know, I, I'm just I'm just more afraid of um, uh, boring our audience than I am of challenging them. Uh huh. <laughs> like, if you, yeah. I I'm curious how many, how much a lot of our audience care about these episodes, but uh, I, mean, I yeah. actually do think they were fun. So yeah. But, you know, in the end, I say you get what you pay for. So. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. So, I, and honestly, this GDC speech is phenomenal. Yeah, Rosewater's 2016 GDC speech. Just go look it up and watch it. I've said it a hundred times. It is like life lesson shit, man. It is, it is so good that I think even if you don't do game design, if you do design of any kind, and I think, and that's not like making something necessary. That's like designing processes or working with people, uh, you know, like designing job roles and stuff like that. If you're, if you manage and direct people to some degree, like if you do anything almost like these lessons are so useful. Like I, you like I, just going through that, through them and looking at them. It's like, I look at them like, man, I use so many of these on a daily basis. Like it's, you know, it's ridiculous, ridiculous, like how many of them I use. Like, I just looked at them all. I'm like, oh, yeah, I use these actually for um, uh, just like, uh, you know, designing like our ticket system that we're using at work or something for like that. Or how we approach handling an issue, like a specific type of issue and how we train people on that or whatever. It's like, you know, fighting against human nature is a losing battle is a really, really good like you know a, an important one like even like make use of piggybacking it sounds stupid but like at work people know how to use a system in one way and you can use that knowledge of one system to train people in another system <laughs> like you know it's it's fascinating how useful all of these are i mean it's just any any sort of like teaching in that regard but yeah Oh yeah, but like I mean, and you know, if if you want to see one one thing in place right now, restriction breed creativity has happened every single day <laughs> for for a lot of a lot of jobs right now. So yeah. you know, but all right, cool. So John, do you have anything you want to interject at the end of this, or should we just put a bow? I mean, I just want people to be aware that they need to take literally everything we've just said with a giant grain of salt since it's based on Morrow. And as we all know, he has literally no formal uh, <laughs> teaching in game design. Mm -hmm. He never went to school for it. So, I mean, I mean can we really trust his, yeah, I know, his right? game design chops, right? <laughs> I mean, he put up his, he put up his resume on on the presentation too and the scrubs only worked on one game ever like seriously yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's only worked on one game he's never actually gone to school for it like it didn't exist at the time yeah, yeah. like <laughs> it's actually hilarious that if morrow was to not put his name on a resume and turn it into like a game design studio he probably wouldn't get hired yeah i know like well i mean like if you say it's like i designed a game for 25 years like that's huge that's impressive yeah. most people don't do that yeah anywhere. that's that's know? like you'd obviously have to do so a like, little bit of fudging right like yeah, you can't like, say oh i did magic for 25 years but... yeah exactly but like you know it's the kind of thing where it's like oh yeah i have a background in communications um i've done i did some writing for for roseanne <laughs> for roseanne and um uh yeah i've, I've worked on this card game like Okay, who's this guy? Throw him out. But like, yeah, you know. And as Rosario said, he's like the big thing he did. He feels like is like you know, Richard Garfield designed 
or you know invented magic basically and um uh, he's a math guy and a lot of the people he worked with were math guys mm-hmm. and a lot of the people who do this kind of stuff are kind of math people in general like they like the, the tinkery fiddly bits of that stuff he brought the psychology aspect into it in a lot of ways and the interpersonal piece of it and understanding that like one if you he's said before if you ask him what his biggest contribution to magic is and he's made a lot his biggest contribution is developing the psychographics yeah like the you know Timmy Tammy Johnny Jenny Spike like the like that is his biggest thing that he feels he's like because it helps people understand why they're playing this game and that is a huge 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 thing for not only like making the game better for people from a design aspect but helping players understand other people like that's huge man i mean the whole phil- philosophy behind the color wheel helps people understand themselves yeah right <laughs> and yeah. like obviously like there there's always the color wheel has always existed the color wheel has yeah. always had restrictions based on it mm-hmm. but it was never really truly fleshed out until Marrow started doing all of that stuff oh he like, took it he took it way hard too like yeah. that was his, that's one of his crusades and everything but so. You know, like Richard Garfield is the god of magic, but for all intents and purposes, Maro is Jesus. Yeah, right. <laughs> There's a reason it's called Christianity. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So, um, yeah. On that note, I guess we're gonna wrap this one up. Thanks for listening along for this one. Um, we'll be um uh, hopefully back to our regularly scheduled programming next week because I think we'll have some magic stuff to talk about for sure. Um, <laughs> hopefully. Oh, I mean, we got a fresh set happening here. Um, my thing's wrong. It says I'm in arena right now, which I'm not. But it's I'm, been uh, saying it's been saying you're yeah. in arena this entire time. Yeah, I, I haven't been playing the arena this whole time. Um, but so, if you want to uh, shoot us some feedback, you can send an email to thelocalmeta at gmail.com. Catch us on Twitter at thelocalmetapc. Check out thelocalmeta.com. Links to the Discord, all that fun stuff. You can come there. Um, we're playing some games on Discord, and I'm not just playing Murder Kill, so we could actually have fun interactive games air quotes um i I got him to build two different decks i I built two different decks um i'd I'd been thinking about it anyway so don't pat yourself in the back too hard but yeah so i'm uh come check it out john anything else man to be fair you're like i kind of want to play a deck around this card and i kind of want to play a deck around this card and i proceeded to link you like five different decks of each Uh, to to be fair though i said what decks i wanted to play you said that two cards you wanted to play which is bigger than yeah, I don't really want to make a standard deck except murder kill. I'm just saying. I'm just saying also. We're just both saying at each other. <laughs> it's not like neither of us did nothing. To be fair, that's like the epitome of this podcast. We're both just right. saying at each other and neither one of us did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> <That's so awful. laughs> On that note, we will catch you next time. See ya.